Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, a weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. We've got a good topic for you today. We're going to be joined by uh, another guest uh, on this week's show. Uh, Before we get into that, I do want to mention that this topic is sponsored by Coral Dynamics. Coral Dynamics specializes in captive-propagated corals uh, and captive-bred clownfish, cardinals, and seahorses. If you're looking for some good quality corals at some great prices, make sure you check out Coral Dynamics. I know that they're also giving away uh, some free gifts with their livestock orders. So make sure you head over there, coraldynamics.com. And before we get into this topic, uh, I did want to mention that uh, the person that we're having on this week was somebody, uh, was Dave Perry, uh, who was going to join us for the roundtable discussion show that we had and uh, wasn't able to make it for that. So this is kind of a banter back and forth. We're talking about, you know, the topic. Uh, it's, it's not as formatted and as structured as a normal show is. So uh, bear with us as you know it's it's kind of a more like I said more of a discussionary format than an interview style format so uh, just a little bit of a heads up we're going to go in and out of a lot of different subjects and a lot of different topics it's kind of a long show so uh, without uh, further ado let's move right into that topic and this week we are joined again by David Perry I'm sure many of you know Dave from the forums uh, on the forums is known as just David P Dave joined us uh, a few months back to do an introduction to Seahorses podcast. I'm sure a lot of you remember that. Uh, we're going to bring uh, welcome Dave to the show. I'm not going to go through a big formal introduction. If you guys are looking for more information, check out the, the Seahorse show. There's a lot uh, of information about Dave in there. Uh, so Dave, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me back. Um, now, this week we're going to be talking about refugiums. Now, this is something that I know, uh, at least personally, I consider that you, a, a, a I know you don't like the term, but a, a expert or at least very knowledgeable person on the refugium. So I'm, I'm, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on and, and share your experience and your understanding about refugia with us. Uh, I really appreciate that. I, um, you know, I do, I do love refugiums and that's the funny thing. And, and I have actually quite a few of them and some of them even offline. I'm one of those uh, folks with the callous knees who spends a lot of time with the flashlight looking at all the what's it in the system. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, since setting up my new one, I find myself almost spending more time looking and playing in the refugium than, you know, than I do in, you know, the actual display tank. But, um, you know, so the refugium is something that comes up uh, often, uh, especially to to new hobbyists that don't really understand exactly what a refugium is. One of the big things that I hear all the time is a refugium versus a sump. You know, what's the difference? Why would I have one or the other? Um, before we get into exactly what a refugium is, um, I'm going to take a minute and just say what a sump is so we can differentiate the two. Now, a sump essentially is an extra tank or container that's going to hold your water of some sort, and there's really not going to be anything in it. The main purpose is to increase overall water volume and to uh, have a place to put some additional equipment. Uh, if you have in-sump protein skimmers, you can put them in there. Uh, you can put in very, you know, different pumps. You can have, um, you know, heaters and and such there, and it's going to get it out of your display tank, or it's going to get it away from hanging off the back of your of your display tank, and it's going to, you know, increase your overall water volume. 
which uh, again, just like the refugia is going to do, is going to add to the stability of the tank. Now, with a refugium, the main point that I want everybody to understand about a refugium is there, there, there's what people think are common rules that have to be applied in order for it to be a refugium. And that's not always true. A refugium, really by definition, is an area that is free from predation where you can safely raise or cultivate uh, various life that normally wouldn't survive in your tank. Now, whether it be various isopods, copepods, mice and shrimp, am, you know, amphipods, live rock you can have in there with your stuff growing on, on the live rock, the macroalgae, uh, the stuff that would readily be consumed in your tank. Uh, it provides a safe place to, to grow uh, those types of things where they're not going to be you know, readily eaten up. Do you have to have all of this in there? Do you have to have a deep sand bed? No. Do you have to have uh, all this, this live rock? Do you have to have it packed with live rock? No. Do you have to have the macroalgae and stuff in there? No. There, there's, there's no dead rule exactly what has to be in there. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons for setting up a refugium. And this is, you know, Dave, I'm, I'm going to give you a minute to kind of talk a little bit about the various reasons for setting up a refugium, because that's really important. Before you, you know, before you s go and set it up, you need to understand what you want to accomplish. Now, with all of your experience in the various refugiums, you want to take a minute and talk about some of the various reasons that people would want to set them up? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, beyond the idea of, of adding total water volume, as you've mentioned, um, and keeping in mind what that definition of refugia is, um, you know, you bring up a good point, predation. Uh, there's also the issue of um, major swings that happen in sumps if you're dosing or, or topping off. And, you know, you, with that said, you, you want to figure out the reasons for refugium. Well, why not? You, you've got another area where you can, again, add volume of water. Um, you wouldn't end up dosing um, in a refugium. Uh, you know, People have refugia for different reasons, and again, I can't think of a reason why not to. Uh, in my personal experience, I, I have refugiums and offline pod farms to grow uh, pods and, and myosid shrimp that I use with my fry tanks for my seahorses. Um, in my 75-gallon sump, it was a completely different refugium that I built, and it was to help with uh, nitrate reduction. Um, so again, Keeping in mind what the definition of refugium is, you can think of many, many applications um, as to why you would want to set up a refugium and in many, many different configurations and uh, contents therein. Right. A great example, and this is one of the first things I remember when I was first reading about refugiums, is let's say you've got a 75-gallon uh, fish-only tank where... Um, you know, granted, let's say all the conditions are right to allow this situation to happen, but you've got a very large display tank where you've got, you know, full of, you know, various different types of fish and, you know, something you can relate to. Okay, I want some seahorses. You can actually set up a refugium that is essentially a seahorse tank that is plumbed into your main fish tank. Now, by definition, that is still a refugium. It's a place where those delicate seahorses can live peacefully and not worry about predation from maybe some other aggressive larger fish in there that would either outcompete it for food or would just straight up attack it. So uh, that's really what a refugium is. Now, 
some of the you know some of the stuff that you mentioned common reasons that people usually set up refugiums i mean that's maybe not the most common reasons but stuff like reducing uh, excess nutrients uh such as nitrate removing phosphates and you know again providing um, a place to grow pods, amphipods, copepods, stuff like that. Specifically, the copepods. If you are somebody that has, uh, say, like uh, dragonets or gobies that like to eat this stuff, especially uh, you know various wrasses and, and the mandarin dragonets that feed almost exclusively on copepods, you need to have a good source of copepods. So, having a refugium is a great way to accomplish that. Absolutely. Even even in the earlier days when I was. Uh... A couple of years ago, breeding Bangai Cardinals, I wouldn't have had half the success uh, that I did had I not had a well-stocked refugium. Um, believe me, uh, one group of fry can clean out a refugium very quick as well. But if if you have that source, I mean, there you are. There's a refugium for those baby Bangai to grow. And before that, it was refugium for the pods that became the food for the Bangai. Exactly. Uh, some of the other common reasons that you would you would set these up is, you know, again, additional biological filtration. Uh, usually people that are going to do this are going to set up a, you know, maybe not huge, but if a, a large tank, um, maybe 30 to 50, 70, even 100 gallons, some of them go larger, but they're going to allow you a place to put in additional live rock. Um, if you are one that follows the method of using a, a deep sand bed, they're going to allow you to put in a deep sand bed there. Uh, if you have a, a a stony coral tank that has a lot of coral in there that require high uh, flow rates, and you happen to have a bare bottom tank because of that, uh, you know a lot of people do that so you don't stir up the sand everywhere. You can use the refugium as a place to have a what's called a remote deep sand bed. You can actually have your deep sand bed in your refugium, along with additional live rock to provide additional biological filtration. And again, all the other things that we mentioned. Now, I, I think that's a good overview of what a refugium is and why it's important to understand why you're going to set it up and the goals of what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, as you get your, your goals and what you're trying to accomplish, it's going to really dictate what you're going to put in there and how you're going to uh, going to build it. And we'll get into those details in a little bit. Now, uh, Dave, you want to take a minute and talk a little bit about placement, uh, whether they should should or can go over or under your main display tank? Sure. Again, um, it depends on the, the use of the or the goal of the refugium. Um, if your refugium is set up to simply hold a deep sand bed and help you with uh, uh, nutrient uh, controls and nitrate uh, reduction, well, you could put it directly underneath the tank and you could fit it into the stand. Uh, you could have one built custom or you could find a tank that would work well. Um, if you've got uh, an area, some folks build refugiums in combined with the sump system, uh, refugium on one chamber and the re remainder of the sump on, on the other side, and that would fit very well underneath the tank stand. Uh, in that case, you're simply just pumping water through the refugium, um, adding that biological filtration and sending that water back up into the display tank. Uh, now, some folks complain if, if you wanted to gr actually grow the pods and the myocid um, that the impeller shear from those return pumps would be detrimental. Um, would I agree? Yes, somewhat. Um, statistically, you won't have a lot of die-off, um, especially where you're talking about the, the spawn and, and the younger uh, mycid that are the ones that typically traverse through the system, the adult and mature pods and 
uh, mice that, that you'll see them. They're clinging to macroalgae or rock or, or something, and they're not free-floating. Um, so in that case, the size of the specimen coming up through a pump, I don't think you'll see a lot of, of kill. Now, I've actually used a filter stock before on my return, and there's plenty of live mice that make the way back up into the system that way. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I, I know that I've I've always run my return pump right right out of there, uh, and it would pump up. And uh, you know, you're you're right. There is some you know casualties that would happen just from the, the impeller shear and the force of the impeller is getting shot up the return pipe. But as you stated, the the larger uh, specimens in there, the larger uh, uh, amphipods and mice and shrimp, those things, those are the larger specimens are going to be large enough and strong enough to where most of those probably aren't even going to get sucked in because they're going to be able to stay away from that area and be able to, you know, escape that, that force that's sucking them into the pump. And you're right. It's the, it's the smaller stuff that's going to get brought up to your tank. Uh, so uh, in, in my experience running the return pump on there, um, I haven't seen any major negative impacts you know, to the display tank. I mean, I've got my copepods and I've got everything in there. So, and they're coming from my refugium. So I know that they're coming through there and they're, they're, they're making it through. Right. Absolutely. A lot of people are, are fear that, and they've read studies. And I believe if you look back and look inward, most of those studies were done on adult size brine shrimp, which right. that, that's a large critter to be going through a pump. Right. But again, others opt to instead use a gravity-fed system where the refugium is actually placed over the display tank, and uh, they work quite well, you know, themselves. My concern there would just be that I'm, I'm always worried about the weak link and where that leak is going to come from or the yep. pump that fails, um, and building it into my return system just kind of made sense for me. Yeah, yeah. Depend, you know, making sure that everything is is set up safely, and as you mentioned, you know, having you know, understanding your failure points, and you know, could that refugium? Uh, is there anything that would stop it from overflowing your your display tank and what have you? But yeah, uh, as as far as you know, some people might prefer that if you're afraid that it's going to the the return pump would harm. Uh, any of the inhabitants that are, you know, would get shot back up into your tank, or if you're specifically trying to get the larger inhabitants into your tank, then you might want to look at one that's over and maybe spills or pours into your display tank through a method that doesn't involve a, a return pump. Now, basically, you know, at this point we've covered, you know, what the refugium is, uh, placement of the refugium. Uh, so one of the good things that you brought up was a uh, sumpfugium or whatever we call them. You know, it's a combination of a sump and a refugium. And this is something that's very common that people use. In fact, my first refugium was that exactly. It was a converted wet-dry filter that was divided and had a refugium on one side and more of a, a sump-style area on the other. And these are good for people that have space constraints or not a lot of room to work with. And you can get one, uh, you can use a regular aquarium, a glass aquarium, you can even use Rubbermaid containers or what have you, and put in some baffles in there and just divide the area up. So you can have refugium area on one side and sump area on the other side where you can put in pumps, heaters, sk protein skimmers, and what have you. So there's many different ways to set it up. And I know that in the, in the Talking Reforms, we've talked about this stuff a lot. And if you're looking for specific information, you have questions, make sure you head over there and, and uh, see what information you can dig up. Or if you can't find anything, just you know, post a question. We'll be there to help you out. Now, moving on a little bit, 
that we've discussed, you know, from the stuff that we've discussed, uh, as we mentioned before, we need to plan what the purpose of your refugium is. And that purpose is what's going to kind of dictate what you're going to put into it. Uh, so, Dave, you want to start off uh, with the content, contents of the refugiums, maybe, you know, from a, an algae standpoint, talk about some of the different types of algae that could be used and why you would use them? Sure. Yeah. Um, you would want to use macroalgae if uh, you were helping uh, do some nutrients in the system. Uh, you'd want to keep that pruned. Uh, some folks use the uh, calarpas. Um, others like to use the uh, chitomorpha. Um, you can. I've seen some refugium that are set up in the chambers, like you mentioned, where one side had one macro and the other side had just live rock, and then there's one area with a, an extra pump where a tumbling ball of chito was just floating in there. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, so so those are some of them. I, I've seen some beautiful um, seagrass. Um, some uh, some fugiums that um, you know they they also help with the reduction of, of nutrients. Some folks opt to use bare bottom. Others like deep sand beds. Um, I am using a deep sand bed in mine because yeah, I'd like so to reduce. Yeah, well, I'd like to reduce the sand bed up in the display tank for the seahorses so that mm -hmm. I can actually vacuum it and keep it clean. Yeah, this way, go. I can have that remote uh, sand bed. Um, well, one of the other reasons for the macroalgae, which is a, a common use. Now, uh, let's see if you can comment on this because, you know, I was doing a little bit of research the other day uh, on, on some of this stuff. And uh, one of the common things that, you know, people use macroalgae for, as you mentioned, was nutrient exports because algae, uh, as a lot of us know already, and for those that don't, uh, even, you know, the nuisance algae in your tank, what it does is it feeds on the excess nutrients, the nitrates, the phosphates, and, and so forth that are in your tank. So by cultivating this macroalgae in there, it's more controllable. Uh, you, you know, you can keep grasp on it, you can harvest it as, as needed, but it's going to, up, you know, take up a lot of these excess nutrients. Now, this one of the other reasons that people grow the macroalgae is they'll take that and feed that to their they're herbivore fish, specifically tangs. Calerpra is a, is a common macroalgae that is kept because tangs readily eat that. Now, the one thing that I that I read, and I haven't read this in a lot of places, and it just kind of stuck in my mind because I wasn't exactly sure. Uh, but it, it, what the what this article or post, I don't remember what it was, was mentioning is that if you have the macroalgae taking up all these nutrients in the tank, you know, in your refugium from your tank. And then you turn around and stick it back in your tank to be consumed by the fish. Are you really accomplishing anything? Or are you just returning those nutrients right back to your system? Do you have, what do you think about that? I, no, no. I mean, in my honest opinion, you're not. I mean, your tank is a, if, if your tank is set up properly, it's it's a cycle. It's a biological process happening. Now, should you opt to remove the macroalgae and pass it to a, another reefer or to just simply throw it away? Okay, you've you've exported those those nutrients. You know, mechanically. Now, what have you done to do after? Good point. Well, and thereafter, you go up and you thaw out your Formula One, and you're feeding your fish. So you're you're putting something into the tank. Are are you exporting it? No, you're recycling it, and and that's part of a system, in, in my honest opinion. Uh, whether you throw the macroalgae away and put in a sheet of nori, you're already reintroducing nutrients of some right, sort. Right, you're putting those nutrients in anyway. So whether it's in the form of the macroalgae that you just took out of the tank. 
um, or it's the nori sheets or the Formula One flake food or the brine shrimp that you're adding, you're putting those nutrients back in. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And Absolutely. It's a cycle. Yeah, and I had and when I was reading this, I was like, you know, okay, I guess I see where the person's coming from, but, you know, and I wasn't really sure how, you know, whether it was, you know, what you th- think about it. So, um, so what are some of the other things that we would keep in there besides the macro algae? Um, and the, the other things that I, I think most people understand specifically from the last shows, the, the sand bed, uh, the live rock, uh, what other types of things would we have in a refugium? Well, I've actually had, um, mangroves. Um, I've got one in my system now. Um, just let's take a minute not- and talk about the, what, what, what do mangroves accomplish in your, in, in the tank? Well, to tell you the truth, after doing a little bit more research, I don't think it accomplished, accomplishes much more than what you could be doing with macroalgae. Macroalgae, yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, from, from what I understand, um, in, in a biomass uh, versus nutrient export, um, mangroves are probably not what everybody thought they were going to be. But they sure are neat. Yeah, and they are nice cool to too. look at. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and if you're going to have a, a refugium of sort, you're creating that little tidal pool that you played uh-huh. with, a, you know, as a kid. Uh, you're looking at a, a marsh-like system or, or a mangrove kind of environment, and you know how neat is that to have a mangrove there as well? Yeah, I'm I sure agree. that it does. You know, I'm sure that it does fix some nutrients, and, and I've heard that they act a lot like cattails in fresh water, where they also hold metals and and other things. And well, that's which good. that's a, a good segue into one of the downsides to having mangroves is that they do put a strain on your uh, magnesium levels because they do uptake magnesium too. Absolutely. I I learned that the hard way. Um, I brought in uh, dozens of mangroves from uh, collecting in in Florida, them up um, only in in my sump and just my my clams were not happy. I couldn't figure out the magnesium levels dropped significantly as they started to grow. Yeah. Now I know I have one in my refugium right now. I'm it's the first one that I've had, so I'm, I'm trying it out. I'm seeing how it does. It, it, the main reason that I got it, I mean, I've got the macro algae in there, um, but you know, part of the reasons I got it was it, it's part of the, the overall appearance of it. It's, it's kind of cool to have in there. I know it's going to assist with some of the nutrient export. You know, is, is it overall worth it? I think for my, the overall volume of my system, having that one small mangrove in there, is, I don't think it's going to be detrimental. So uh, I, I like it so far. No, it, one one mangrove will not with right. with proper water changes. One mangrove will not affect your magnesium levels to any worrisome level. I haven't noticed anything. So, uh, so what are the other types of uh, little critters that we might have in there, um, or anything else that that maybe that we haven't mentioned yet? Well, hopefully you'll have a whole lot of hitchhikers from your live rock. Um, You know, any kind of spaghetti worm sponges. Sponges are absolutely wonderful uh, natural filters. That's a good thing. Now, I don't know. Did did you want to get into that now or you want to bring that up in uh, one of the next sections that we're getting into? Because that's a great topic to get into. Well, I mean, I think there's something to keep in mind. You've got you've got some sponges that are beautiful and they're reds and pinks and yellows and they Mm -hmm. can uh, tolerate um, light levels that are consistent with reef tanks and refugiums, yeah. and uh, you should encourage those um, if you've got them in your lit refugium. There's a whole other school of thought, um, an unconventional kind of refugium system where you're talking about dark refugiums, um, and they can grow a lot of the more delicate uh, translucent sponges, which, again, are, are wonderful filters. Gotcha. Um, yeah, we'll get, into, we'll get into that system in just, in just a moment. Um, sure. 
No. Otherwise, um, you know, some folks want to keep nothing else in their refugium. Um, anything that would prey upon pods or myosid, they'd want to keep out. Um, other folks like to keep uh, cleaner shrimp in there. They'll they'll uh, often release fry into the system and create more of that planktonic food. And mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a lot of times your hermit crabs will do the same. Um, so some folks put hermit crabs in. Yep, and snails. Uh, I use absolutely snails. Uh, snails, in my opinion, can never hurt, and right. they help <laughs> with the film. Yeah, you know, they help with the film algae. Um, you know, should uh, any of the foods from the display tank make it up in there, um, you know, the pods don't finish, the snails will help clean off a lot of, uh, you know, the Nassarius snails will help with, with that. Um, I keep hermit crabs in mind mostly because they've been banished from my seahorse tank. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they also um, help with some of the, the uh, to, to actually prune back and work with some of the algae that, that may grow in there. Yep. Um, I had a boat with that red cotton candy algae. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard or seen of it, but it's horrible. And uh, turbo snails tend to like it, so I've got a couple of those in there. Yeah. Now, just to kind of to review a little bit, uh, what we've talked about so far is the use of um, live sand in, in, in your deep sand bed and live rock. The reasons you would use that is for additional biological filtration to assist with reducing of excess nutrients, helping lower nitrate levels, so on and so forth. Um, we've also talked about the um, macroalgaes and mangroves kind of serving a similar purpose, uh, can can work to export uh, excess nutrients from your system. Uh, they can also provide a food source for fish in your tank, such as tangs. Uh, and one of the other things that we're getting into now is uh, some of the smaller things that we would try to cultivate in the grow, the various pods in there. Now, a lot of those pods uh, will feed on, uh, some of them are eat det- uh, detritus. Uh, some of them will actually feed on the different types of macroalgae, depending on what type of, of pods we're talking about. Uh, but what are some of the, the good reasons of, of growing the, the various types of mice and shrimp and in, in copepods and stuff like that in, in there that we anything we haven't mentioned already i know we talked about them as food sources for mandarins and, and such well yeah i mean the the copepods the um your, your mycid shrimp um you know again for, as a food product uh for for the fish uh, in the display tanks um, they also do help to keep the tank clean. I mean, yep. they, they do eat, um, you know, spoiled foods and, and any detritus that would be uh, within the system. Um, Anybody that's got the, the amphipods. Now, you know what, and that might be a good some uh, People may often confuse the difference between an amphipod and a copepod. Um, just briefly, the amphipods are the larger ones, the ones that if you walk up to your tank and you look in your tank and you see these little bug-looking things, those are the amphipods. They're kind of shaped like a comma. Um, they look like the roly-poly yeah. pill bugs that you see as a kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are amphipods. The amphipods are the larger ones. Now, anybody that sees, it, sees those in their tank knows that if they come across food, uh, dropped flake food, leftover food of some kind, we know that they'll pick those up. Um, and then the other type is, is the, the little copepods and those are the, I don't want to say microscopic, but they're, they're near microscopic. I mean, you, they're extremely tiny and you can see them without the aid of, you know, a a magnifying glass, but you're not going to see much more than a moving dot. And, and if it's in a tank that's got full flow going, you're probably not going to see them at all. 
they are very, very tiny. Um, right. And in your refugium, if you look to the glass um, or in the corners of the glass, you will see them on the glass. Yeah, rather they are attracted to light deep, sources. Correct. And, and rather than looking deep into the contents of the refugium on the rock work, if you actually look at the pane of glass in front of you, you might most often see them scurrying around on the corners and in the, in the glass itself. Yep. Now, my refugium being that, uh, that Rubbermaid stock tank, I don't have clear sides. So what I've actually, what I do is I will shut off the flow in there. And the way I've got my rock work, I've got an open area of the sand bed that's in there. And it's white sand. So when I cut all the flow, I can, I've got like a white background that I can look against. And then I can, right. you know, it, it's not a scientific measure, but I can eyeball the amount of, you know, pods that are in there by looking through the depth of the water and you can see them moving in there. Uh, so it's a, another way of, of seeing them. Now, uh, the mice and shrimp, uh, anything to mention there uh, other than a good food source, uh, cleanup, stuff like that? Well, if you're seriously interested in the development of mycid shrimp, what you should get into the habit of doing is siphoning off uh, the swarms of little babies you'll see in certain pockets during certain times of the year. Uh, when they breed, um, they are actually cannibalistic. And what I like to do is when I notice that there's been an event where there's tons of babies in there, I'll siphon them into a, another one of my offline refugium um, just to, to help boost the population. To help protect them from themselves. Yeah, exactly. Protect them from themselves, and sometimes I return them directly to that refugium when yep. they're in you know, a larger size. Yeah, other times they go into the fry tanks with the uh, the baby seahorses. Okay, so now that's the various uh, pods that might be in there, and the mice and shrimp that would be in there, and the purposes for having them in there. We also talked about putting other stuff in there, like the snails, uh, various uh, cleaner shrimp, peppermint shrimp, crabs. Um, Stuff like that. And depending on what you're doing in your refugium, there are certain things you might not want to add. You might not want to add uh, stuff that's going to readily eat the, that type of stuff. Uh, maybe the sand sifter stars um, and stuff like that might not be a good idea because they commonly eat the stuff that lives in the sand bed. Um, various fish you might not necessarily want to put in there because they are going to prey upon uh those things in there. Now, if your goal is not to raise that stuff specifically, uh, then it would be okay to have them in there. Uh, the reality is, is you set up one of these refugiums, you're, you're going to have a source of, of pods in there. So if, if having them as a food source for your display tank isn't a goal, then that would allow you to put, you know, various other uh, critters in, in the refugium with, without too much of a worry. Um, now, Moving on, is there anything else you want to add to that before we move on? Sure, yeah. Uh, just keep in mind as well that uh, if your goal of refugium is to have a uh, remote uh, means of export of nutrients, that um, while you might want to have a couple of snails or, or crabs to help with some of the algae uh, pruning, you don't want to stock it as if it were another tank because you're just increasing the bioload of your system. Right, good point. And one of the goals, yeah, one of the goals was to increase that water volume and to yep. increase your chance of biological activity. Um, and now that you've done so, if you add too many other critters in there, now you've just uh, flatlined everything and you're, you're back down to just a larger display. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You're, you're right back where you started from with, with you know, your net, you, you know, your net change is, is zero. So, Correct. yeah, that's a good point. You don't want to stock these like a normal tank. A couple snails, a couple crabs here and there, um, you know, is really all you need to handle. Because the reality is, is you're not feeding, 
you're usually not feeding your refugium directly. You're not going to put flake food in there. So you're going to have a couple of crab snails, maybe a, a very, very tiny cleanup crew that might handle anything that might have gone through your overflow. If you leave that on during feeding, a lot of people will actually shut off the return pump, which would disable the flow through the refugium during feeding times. Uh, so those are various reasons why, you know, you really don't need a whole lot in there. Uh, now, moving on a little bit, there's um, kind of something that you want to specifically talk about. There's a, a conventional and unconventional refugium setups. Now, uh, let's get into the first one, which would be the common one. I'm sure it's the one that everybody's aware of, and it's it's the lit refugia. Now, let's talk about that and what what should you light it with? How long should you keep it lit for? Uh, what are the reasons for, for keeping it lit? you want to get into that? Sure. Um, personally, I'm a fan of the um, of not using a 24-7 photo period in my refugium. Um, I typically offset my photo period with that in the display. Um, it, it helps me to uh, keep my pH um, balanced. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm still up in the air and doing a lot of research on, on macroalgae and, and whether or not you can stunt uh, or stop the, uh, plant, the, the algae from going sexual. Um, you know, uh, personally, I, I harvest mine enough that I don't think I would ever see it anyways, but I just don't want to, you know, I, I believe that, that the rest of my system, it, it, it offsets that pH. It allows me to reduce the electricity that I'm using as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for the most part, I am trying to grow the myocid, the pods, and there's no light requirement for them. Right. I have some macroalgae in there because the pods tend to like, like it as well, but it's not an important factor for me. Um, and as long as you give it enough light to grow... Uh, then, then I'm happy with that. Yeah, now there's important points to bring up there, and there's a recent thread uh, on the forums where we kind of got into this. So if you're looking for uh, some more in-depth information, we actually had uh, some of the more expert people throw in their, their comments about this. Um, you know, whether, how long to light it for, whether to use macroalgae or not, or how much or what kind. Uh, there, there's some good things to bring up there. There are some types of macroalgae that are more prone to going sexual and what happens is they basically are going to really they're going to spawn a really spores throughout the tank and you can have detrimental effects for various reasons it can cause some very bad things uh, from clouding your tank all the way to the point of a, a total crash of your system now not all macroalgae are as prone to this phenomenon as others uh, the the chitomorpha is not doesn't happen as commonly. Uh, the calerpra is, is something that happens more commonly with that. Uh, what's the other one? The helimeda? Helimedia, yeah. Helimedia is another one that I, I think it, it, it's common to happen in there if it's not pruned back. But the information that I have found, uh, and again, this is the information I pulled up on this is, is a lot of it's been from reading various people's input. And uh, I tend to classify that as anecdotal information. Uh, because it really it, it kind of lacks a, a scientific test, uh, but from what I've seen from a lot of people, if you regularly prune uh, the macroalgae that you have, that in and of itself is going to drastically reduce the risks of it going sexual. If you haven't happened to choose 
a type of macroalgae that is prone to that behavior. Now, you don't have to choose a macroalgae that is prone to that behavior. Uh, if you're simply looking for nutrient exports, then go with the, the Chetomorpha and not the Calerpra, uh, whereas the, you know, the Calerpra is more prone to that. If you're looking for something that you need to feed to your fish or you want to feed to your fish, then the Chetomorpha is not going to work because your fish, you know, I, I've yet to find a fish that's going to readily consume that stuff like, like the other ones. Now, some of the comments regarding uh, whether you should light the, the refugium for 24-7 or on a reverse photo period, uh, there is, you know, there's some people saying that light, having your refugium lit 24 by 7 uh, also reduces the the chances of it going sexual, uh, and there seems to be some information to support this. Uh, but again, I personally, mine's on more of a reverse photo period, where it actually the lights in there kick on. I think an hour or two before the tank lights go off, and then they're on for another hour or two after my tank lights come back on. So, uh, you know, so they're off for a few hours throughout the day. Um, I haven't had any problems in there, but my macroalgae of choice is primarily the, the Chinomorpha, so I don't really, you know, I haven't really had to deal with any of the other stuff. I've had some of the Calerpa, but not not a whole lot, and I have a little bit now, but uh, it's not, you know, Chinomorpha is really the stuff that I'm using for nutrient export. It's actually become it's actually become more common, uh, and it makes sense. It's also not as invasive as some of the Calerpa species. Very, yeah, uh, very true. It does not root like Calerpa can uh, and Hallam Media can. Uh, it, it's free flowing. It, it rolls around there. It pl provides great places for, um, you know, as you mentioned, various pods and breeding grounds and food source and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it's, it, I agree. It, it's probably the preferred method. Uh, if you're not trying to produce a, f uh, a vegetable style food source for, you know, your fish or hitching posts for your seahorses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I know there's a, there's probably a lot of debate on there. Again, I wanna I wanna make sure that it's clear that I, I'm not you know neither of us are saying that you should light your tank your refugium for 24 uh, you know 24 hours a day. Uh, we're not saying that you should do it on a reverse photo period. Um, there is information that shows that you know a 24 by 7 light cycle photo period. Uh, can prevent this nature uh, going, you know, having your your macroalgae go sexual. But running it on a reverse lighting cycle, which I, I think we've talked, you know, we've said, but we haven't really explained um, the benefits to doing that. If you have the lights in your refugium on while the tank lights are off, what it's going to do, it's going to you know balance out the overall pH levels in your tank uh, because what naturally happens is the pH levels, would, they're going to drop at night, and then they'll come back up when the lights are back on on the display tank. Right. It's, it's actually all a product of, of certain photosynthesis that's yep. going on within the system. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're keeping up that, that action in the refugium when it stops in your display tank. So uh, that's going to help balance out the, the, the uh, pH in, in the overall system. So the two common – well – as we're going to see three, but the two that people usually talk about are it's either on a reverse photo cycle, which is what I just mentioned. It's lit opposite of your display tank or it's lit 24 by seven. Uh, and I think we've beat both of those horses to death. Um, before we go on to uh, the unconventional style, is there anything you wanted to mention about, Oh, lighting. Uh, what type of light should we use in our refugium? Uh, well, it, again, again, it depends on what you're using your refugium for. Um, 
if you're growing these macroalgaes, you'll want to meet the spectrums, um, you know, that keep macroalgae and plants going. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, it, it, some folks don't light them at all. Believe me, pods, uh, if you're not using macroalgae and your, your goal is to create myocid and pods, uh, there's no reason to light it whatsoever. Um, so, you know, at that point in time, you, you might just have a small light there in case you had to work within the system yep. and you needed something to see by. Um, I have power compacts uh, on one of mine. I've got a Lights of America cheap, um, you know, 20 some odd dollar light from uh, Home Depot over my uh, large 75 gallon. Uh, something refugium right now. I think that's a good thing to, to mention too. Those Lights of America fixtures are, uh, that's what I've got over mine. I've got two of those over mine. And those are great fixtures. They're power compact bulbs. Uh, the fixtures, the bulbs are on a mogul socket like the uh, metal halides would be, so they're larger sockets. Uh, I think they're 65 watts is what those bulbs are. But they're also at the 6500K uh, spectrum, which is optimal for uh, growing your macroalgaes. And and you're right. The fixtures are they're very inexpensive. The replacement bulbs are also very inexpensive. So they're a uh, great light source if you're specifically trying to grow macroalgae. And if you're not and you just need some light over it, uh, besides those, a lot of under the you know under kitchen cabinet style uh, lighting fixtures, fluorescent fixtures, a lot of those will work just fine to provide a light source. Um, my my old refugium ran for over a year on just that it was a, a fluorescent light fixture that uh, was meant to go underneath a, a, a kitchen cabinet oh there's plenty of them that you uh, folks who use the simple clip-on yep. shop lights mm -hmm. um you know it, it depends again on what your needs are and uh if you understand the spectrums required for certain algae and, and that is the 65 and 67 i, I believe that they are a 65 watt light bulb, and they say that they shine like I don't know, like 500 watts. Yeah. That Lights of America, uh, it is a pretty bright light. Yeah, uh, they are very keep, bright. Yeah. Yeah, but one thing to keep in mind is, is they're simple to install yourselves, but you will need to come up with uh, uh, the plug, a wire, uh, in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah. The other uh, the other thing that is important with those um, is they do generate some heat. So you want to keep that in mind when you're, when you're setting them up is they do get pretty hot. Uh, and it's also an important reason why you, you want to try to stay with something like this and stay away from incandescent bulbs or clip on light bulbs, because those, while they might look like a quick, easy source to provide some light in there, they're going to add a lot of heat to your water. Uh, so you know, adding heat to the water, as a lot of us know, can cause problems. So keep that in mind when you're choosing your fixture to, you know, keep in mind the amount of heat that it's going to add to to it. Uh, well, I think, uh, what do you think? Is that cover lighting? I think we got most of it. I know we kind of jumbled it up a little bit, but I think all the information's in there somewhere. Hopefully it wasn't too <laughs> too scrambled for people. Um, you want to move on to the next topic, or do you want to add anything else to the lighting? No, um, I, I'd actually like to talk about um, a new kind of refugium that I've yes. been playing with. Yes, and this um, is something that you have been doing. I think you've posted a couple times on the forums about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I stumbled on it. It's it's a dark refugium, um, and I can, if I back up a little bit, uh, this first started when I tried to create my own offline pod farms. Um, I had some extra tanks left over from when I treated my 75 for those red bugs 
Mm-hmm. Um, I actually set them up as refugiums so I could harvest all my uh, uh, the snails and the, I mean the crabs and shrimp from the display tank. Well, I left them running and they turned into little refugium themselves. Um, but they served their purpose. I, I shut the lights off and um, as I got more into seahorses, I realized, boy, there was a lot of mice in there, a lot of pods in there, and I started just offline pod farms. Um, and one strategy I did was layer uh, filter pads with um, egg crate in a system and just seeded it and left it dark. And I found what I expected, which was a lot of pods, um, but was also surprised as I was peeling apart those layers at the amount of sponge that was in there. Um, now, the sponge were introduced uh, Again, because I had live rock in there uh, when I had it set up as an offline holding system for those crabs and, and um, shrimp. And it just got me to thinking. So um, I did some reading, and I actually found some information uh, and heard information from Steve Tyree during a discussion um, at a conference about Doc Refugium. So uh, I looked into it, and now I've got two different setups. One is that one offline tank that I spoke of. The other one's an actual plumbed, um, you know, piece of Tupperware that's over my existing refugium. It receives no light. It receives water from a simple MaxiJet 1200 that I uh, bulkheaded right into it. So it's relatively low flow. Oh, it's very, very low flow. um, and 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 it drains right back into my main system. Um, You know, these kinds of Filters are, are actually quite natural if you think of it. It mm-hmm. resembles the uh, those dark zones on the reef in that live rock, or in the rock rubble of the reef where the light doesn't penetrate. Right. Um, it's it's a great habitat uh, for the growth of, of these sponges. And again, I'm not talking about the pretty pink and blue sponges. Right. So there are some steel gray and other color sponges in there, but uh, those uh, sponge actually have a symbiotic relationship with. Um, with Susan Deli, actually, but uh, these are, are, are more delicate, uh, stringy white sponge. Yeah, the white um, ones, the black ones. I've seen some black ones. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're actually amazing. They, the the growth rate on them is is yes. incredible. Yeah. Um and uh, and and you you may have seen them in your own sumps uh, or maybe even in refugium uh, in darker corners, but. Uh, they're an excellent way of, uh, of, of filtering water if, well, if you read up on sponges. Yeah, sponges are nature's essentially water f- water filters. That's what they do. They suck the water through them and pull everything out of it and squirt out the clean water. That's, they're, they're, and we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of gallons an hour in a, yeah. sy- in a closed system like these. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a no-brainer if you can create these you know, areas in these kind of sumps, as uh, Tyree and folks call them, the cryptic, cryptic kind of zones. zones um, yeah. um, you know, very dimly lit and um, and encourage this kind of growth. Um, you know, others have used uh, tuna kits, or they're, they're sometimes called sea squirts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the same thing, they pump gallons and gallons of water through themselves and filter. Well, a lot of people, and if if you if anybody listening to this isn't exactly sure, go into your display tank and look in the backsides or undersides of your rocks, or you know, pick up a rock and move it. I, I can almost guarantee that if you have an established tank that's been up for a while, you're going to see some uh, sponge growth on, on the in these dark areas of the rock. It's almost in, in, impossible to get rid of. And what Dave's talking about here is basically setting up 
a system devoted to growing these types of sponges. And, and you're right. I, you almost can't avoid it. Uh, I, I see them all over my tank, even in some areas that are lit. But having these low to no light areas, you don't always have to, you know, I, I think you, you were just talking about, you don't always have to have a separate system set up that is set up for no light. Um, but by creating uh, dark cryptic zones within your existing refugium or tank or whatever, uh, maybe uh, caves within, you know, rock work or something like that, you can provide these types of areas. Now, I'm sure you're going to get a lot more filtration per surface area if you set up one of these cryptic or dark refugiums, but uh, there's a lot of different ways you can set them up. And, and, and for all intents and purposes, if you've got a, a large reef system with 100 pounds or more of live rock, you've actually got these kind of cryptic zones going. Oh, yeah, you do. Um, and got the equivalent of the type of refugium that I'm working with right now. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things with, with yours specifically is that it's a seahorse tank, um, so you're not loaded up with, you know, 100 pounds of Fiji live rock. I mean, you've got a lot of Tonga branch, and it's probably not leaving a whole lot of those cryptic zones in the actual tank itself. So having this set up for you uh, is providing something that you're not already getting because you've got a smaller size tank with with the seahorse tank, right? That, that that's right. And actually, in the in the project, uh, the completion of tying in that new sump to that display system, uh, I'm in the process of removing even more rock from the display system itself, um, keeping a, a large cluster of tonga, and I'm going to start looking at putting in some um, some grasses in there. Um, so it, very soon. As I take the pieces out, uh, it, it's going to leave no cryptic zones within my system. Right so now, you're you're I've moving those out that. into your regular refugium or sump, right? Well, some of them are moving down to the regular refugium and sump. Others are going in. I, I use them as seed rocks uh, to to for other offline refugium right, or right. my fry fry grow out tanks. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and that's why I have to do it slow. If I were just merely bringing them down, putting them into the the same system, but just within the sump, I could do it quickly. But right. I am removing some of the biological filtration. I am putting them into fry tanks, so I, I'm doing it on a slow basis. Right, everything slow in a in a saltwater tank. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, I'm I'm going to try and take some pictures and get them up on the site um, of this refugium system that I have now. I'll do that when I come back from Georgia. Um, I do have pictures of some of those sponges that I spoke of. Mm -hmm. um, I had one growing in one of my sump chambers as well. Um, but actually, sumps, that's a good discussion. I had someone ask me the other day as we were talking about this, well, isn't my sump, which has no light on it, considered cryptic? Um, and no, it's not true. Like we talked about stability and what the idea of a refugium was and that you wouldn't dose into your refugium, um, you know, your sump might have some cryptic zones in it. You may see certain sponges growing there. But again, um, you know, there's a lot of flux in, in, in a sump system. The fluctuation in the, the fresh water coming in uh, quickly if you're topping off manually mm -hmm. or, you know, the quick addition of two-part additives. I found that, you know, should you get any sponge growth in there, they're severely affected by those swings. And they and usually have really a much work. higher flow rate through a sump, too. Absolutely. That's the other thing. Like I said, I'm running a, a Tupperware box right now. That's it looks similar to one of those storage units you would put your wrapping paper in. How big and is it? Would you all... say that that holds you know five gallons, ten gallons, fifteen gallons? Um, the one I have right now is probably the equivalent of a ten-gallon tank. Okay. 
Just so people can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. Right. And, and I mean, go ahead and scale. I mean, if you want right there, I'm using a 10 gallon thereabout system with a maxi jet 1200 pumping water through Mm it. Um, and there is some head loss on the way up, but not by much, but you know, if you wanted to build a larger system like that and just go with a larger pump, uh, you could even build something, you know, smaller. Anything you could do, you know, to to try uh, is definitely right. worth it. Well, which is a great thing about refugiums and sumps. They're not your display tank. They're 99% of the time they're hidden away under the tank or in a fish room or in the basement. So you can use stuff that's not pretty. You can use Rubbermaid uh, storage bins or Rubbermaid like storage bins. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, it's where I got the idea from because a lot of people in my area do it. I'm sure all over, but these, these stock tanks, I mean, you can go and pick up a, you know, 70, 150, 300 gallon stock tanks. Uh, these are like feeding troughs that people would use, uh, in farm type environments for, uh, you know, farm animal food. But, you know, a 70 gallon feeding trough is, they're like $60. And for, I think right. it's even under $200, you can get these very large uh, 150 or 300 gallon uh, troughs. And they already come with your first, you know, uh, bulkhead already in them. And if you want to add more, you can. The stuff is, it's very hard plastic, but it's very rigid plastic, I should say, because you can drill through it very, very easily. It's, it's right. soft very enough easy to, to work drill with. through. Yes, very easy to work with, but it's very rigid. They don't flex and move around a whole lot. I have not had any problems with that. Uh, and they're you know, good, cheap way to, to provide a very large amount of, of additional water volume in the area. So that's another great thing. Is you, you can make this out of leftover tanks, uh, ugly tanks, scratched up tanks, it's, you're not going for aesthetics here. It's, it doesn't have to look pretty, even though a lot of us, you know, often spend more time staring into these things than, than uh, you know, our display tanks at times. But uh, that's another yeah. nice thing about them. Yeah, some some people would opt to place them over over a tank, and and they might actually have them as a you know little display system themselves. Right. And mm-hmm. you, you can keep a nice pretty refugium if you wanted. Uh, but Rob, you're right. If you want to just have something hidden in the back room, um, it doesn't have to be aesthetically pleasing. It just needs to be functional. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, I, we, you know, we covered the, the cryptic zones, the dark refugiums. Um, I think we've covered, you know, more than the basics on setting up, you know, refugiums, or at least the concepts behind refugiums. Um, I think we, you know, we even got into some of the, you know, setup details, uh, is there anything else you want to add before we, we wrap up the topic? Well, um, another thought that I had in mind, I've got an extra acrylic tank hanging around, and um, I'm actually thinking of building a clam tank built in and in line with the rest of my system. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, because I've heard so much about them, and, uh, you know, as far as reducing nitrates. Yeah, and, now are uh, you looking at the... the um giant clams or the cleaning clams the little you know the little tiny cleaner clams what type of clams now, are you? i i've not seen a lot about the cleaner clams uh, i did see a couple of uh, displays or, or articles or advertisements for them and to me they look almost like a common yeah uh, they like do. up in new england here the cohogs yep <laughs> um, that's exactly I, what i'm a little bit yeah i'm a little bit leery of them right now uh, but i have always loved um the tridacnic clams the oh, giant clams um, and since I've taken down my reef tank uh, 
to build the one in the basement. I, I really missed the clam. So I thought I you got this, will this, have another reef tank. We're still working on it. <laughs> I, I will. I guarantee you. Um, but right now, um, I really want to get some more clams. I've got a light fixture kicking around. Yep. I've got an acrylic tank that a friend built. So I'm thinking of, of you know building one of those and tying it into my existing system. There you go. So what have I create? What have I created there? That's a refugium for the clams, correct? Yep, exactly. And uh, also. You know, if if all holds true, it'll help with um, the reduction of uh, nitrate. Yeah. Now, you know, it's just so people understand, if you don't re- recall back from the Seahorse show, I, Dave's not somebody that has, uh, you know, an extremely bad feeding habits or something. It, it's kind of the nature of what he does with the Seahorse is that he has these excess nutrients in there. Right. That's right. Seahorses exist, again, and um, much like a refugium, a low-flow um, uh, environment. But in this case with seahorses, um, they're, they're messy. They live yeah. up to the name of a seahorse. And um, it is a nutrient-rich tank. And um, <clears throat> no matter how hard you try, uh, you're, you're, I've got a low-flow environment, and you're going you're gonna to run into some algae problems. So yeah. nutrient reduction, the export of waste, the export of of um, well, the biological filtration of the water is, is extremely mm-hmm. important. Yeah, which is where a lot of this stuff that we come into, and this is, you know, probably one of the main reasons why you, you know, over time you've you've learned and experienced as much as you had with all the different ways to try to get your your seahorse tanks uh, cleaned up uh, better. So right, and and previously I did have that seventy-five gallon reef tank, mm-hmm. and and um, it was it was kind of overstocked and. Uh, I did love my fish and fed them. So, <laughs> yes. you know, and, 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 you know, what reefer hasn't had um, their bouts with uh, nutrient reduction? Oh, right. Yeah, it's a natural thing. I mean, it's, uh, oh, I, you know, I guess I shouldn't say natural totally, but it, it's, it's something that hobbyists go through. I mean, we all go through the period of, oh, I'm not overfeeding my fish. But then when you really sit back and get more experience and talk to more people, you realize, oh, my God, I was feeding them 10 times what I should have been. Um, sure. you know, when you're going through it's, these stuff, it's not anything to feel bad about is there's, there's ways to address it and you address it. That's all. Uh, and there may be, it may be a combination of, of maybe feeding fish. Uh, maybe you had something, uh, you know, die within your system yep, and the water absolutely. changes are just not helping you and you've got, you know, algae blooms going and, mm-hmm. and you know, so we've all faced it one way or another yep. and refugia is a great answer, you know, for, for nitrate reduction, for uh, scrubbing your water. Yeah, excellent. Yes. Now, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap up because uh, we're we're pushing close to an hour here. Um, so, you know, next time we'll you know we'll we'll try to get into some more of the details. I, I know there's a couple things that we didn't dive into real deep, and uh, I'm going to be working on putting together some shows that are going to go into some of these topics a little deeper. Uh, if anybody has any questions about any of the items that discussed here, I know we went through a lot of stuff um, kind of quick you know, quickly and a little more disorganized than what we normally are. But this was, it was a fun show for us to do and we kind of wanted to knock it out like that. So uh, if you have any questions or need clarification, by all means, you know, just uh, head over to the forums and post a response to the the show, the posting for this show. And uh, uh, both uh, myself and Dave and everybody else in the Talking Reef community will be around to, to help answer your questions as uh, as we always are. Uh, the forums have just been amazing uh, lately. So, um, anything else you want to add before we before we head out, Dave? Sure. Well, I just want to say hi to everyone again, and I want you to, um, you know, some of you folks who are using refugium, um, I want to encourage you to take some photos, get them up there, 
uh, maybe you know start a thread and show off your yeah, fuge and, and, and what it is that you're using your refugium for and a little bit about the content. Uh, and it will be fun. You'll get to see what's going on. We'll get some great ideas out there. And for the new folks who might want to try refugium or just diving in the hobby, um, they'll have a lot of good examples right there to start with. Or better yet, um, I, of course, go and start the you know post some pictures and start a thread. But if you have um, a digital or a, you know a video camera, a mini DV video camera where you can export that that stuff onto to you know tape or onto your computer, you can set up. We can do a, a little tank tour video. You know, record some video, explain it on the video. The great thing about the podcast is I can send out video. So if you want to take some video of your setup and and show us what you have set up, why you have it set up, and you know it's a little bit more fluid and interactive than than various pictures. Uh, by all means, if you need any help or questions about doing that, uh, get a hold of me on the forums. Uh, but that's something that you're good. Everybody's going to see more of in the near future, uh, at least from some of us in the, in the forums. So, um, okay, well, I think that it's going to about wrap it up for this week. Um, uh, since we went so long, we're gonna. I think we're gonna skip out of the question and answer and you know stuff that we normally do, tip of the week stuff that we normally do in this show, and uh, kind of wrap up the show. So again, Dave, thanks very much for taking the time. Uh, I know it's 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 been uh, it's been fun for me to get to get a chance to get you on and talk about this stuff. So uh, thanks for for coming on. Oh, not a problem. Glad to be back. Um, and it is a, another one of my favorite topics. So it was uh, a <laughs> nice discussion. Great. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Again, that was uh, David Perry joining us talking about refugiums. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, or if you got questions or comments about the show, make sure you head over to the TalkingReef.com forums and post any questions, comments, or feedbacks in response to the show post uh, right there on the homepage. Uh, if you've got questions, uh, we, we'll get right in there and uh, do what we can to help you out. Uh, as mentioned, we're not going to be doing tip of the week or question and answer section as the show, uh, the discussion with, with Dave ran uh, long enough to fill the, the time block. So we're going to skip those this week and we'll pick those back up uh, probably on the next show. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, just want to mention that uh, if you've got any questions, introductions, or comments, uh, make sure you call into the voice cell line. Uh, just pick up the phone and dial uh, 586-486-3357. Uh, as mentioned before, one of the things that I'm looking for is I'd love to get some more introductions. Uh, uh, as we've played on the past shows, I think we've had a couple of them so far. Just, you know, hi, welcome to, you know, you're listening to Talking Reef Podcast, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're fun to do. Uh, people enjoy them. The last one, there was an entire thread on the forum about the last one, so people really enjoy hearing those. So uh, if you want to do that, make sure you, you go ahead and do that. Uh, if you don't want to call in the voicemail, you can record your own WAVE or MP3 file and just email it to me. Uh, it's a great thing to do. Uh, if you are enjoying the, the podcast, the show, the website, make sure you get out there to other forums and other websites and uh, other people in the reefing community. Make sure you spread the word about that. Uh, help get some more listeners to the show, get some people that can benefit from the information that we're passing on, and get some more uh, members into the forum that can join the discussion and help answer questions or ask questions uh, if they're people that are looking for some more help. So. That's going to wrap up the show for this week. I want to thank everyone for joining us, and especially, uh, again, thanks, Dave, for taking the time to come on and, and share his experience with the refugiums. Uh, that's going to wrap it up, and we will talk to you all next week. <laughs>